0: Om Ajnana Timurandasya Shalakaya Chakshuramilitam yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Mano Stapitam yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Tatati Swapadantikam Mancha Kalpa Tarubyascha Kripasandubya Evacha Patitanam Bhavanibyo Vaishnavebyo Namonamaha Jaisi Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhar, Sri bas Adi Gora bhakta Vrinda. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So we will um, hear first from uh, Ananta, uh, the super soul and um, responding to the prayers of Chitra Ketu. And then we are going to hear uh, a very, very fascinating and, you know, educational and yeah, just one of those pastimes that you just say, wow, in the Bhagavatam. And it's, it's so interesting, isn't it? How the Bhagavatam has done this because it, 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 um, it first did the history of Britrasura and then Chitraketu, even though Chitraketu came, uh, chronologically first. And I, we talked about this some time ago in, in terms of another past I can't remember which one that, you know, sometimes in the movies, they'll do that also, right? They'll, you'll, they'll show you the final conclusion at the very beginning of the movie. And then they'll say three months earlier. And the rest of the movie is all the things leading up to that scene that is repeated at the end so here we heard about rich and his glorious return back to the spiritual world and now we're hearing how that all how the whole thing took place but first we have some philosophy to cover because uh uh the lord gets a bit philosophical in um in these uh, verses that we are up to um before we get on to chapter 17 so we're still on 16 I believe we're on verse 51. Is that what everyone remembers? That's what I recall. 52, Prabhu. 52, okay, thank you. 52, that's right, 52. All right, let me just get my notes ready. (laughs) Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya.
1: So we're on
0: 52 and we're going up to 53. Okay, so 52. Oops, people are joining like crazy. (laughs) So this is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Dev speaking. And he says, In this world of matter, which the conditioned soul accepts as consisting of enjoyable resources, The conditioned soul expands, thinking that he is the enjoyer of the material world. Similarly, the material world expands in the living entity as a source of enjoyment. In this way, they both expand, but because they are my energies, they are both pervaded by me. As the Supreme Lord, I am the cause of these effects, and one should know that both of them rest in me. The next verse. So, um, that was 52. Um, we'll, we'll just read one little part, even though we, I don't think you did it for homework. Uh, the living entities wrongly consider the physical elements to be resources meant for their enjoyment. And they think themselves to be the enjoyers. So that's kind of the whole problem in, the, in a nutshell, isn't it? In that one sentence. <laughs> The living entities wrongly consider the physical elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, to be resources, or, or let's say sound, smell, touch, taste. I, I missed one, right? Um, uh, meant for our enjoyment. However, neither of them is independent. They are both energies of the Lord. The original cause for the material energy and the spiritual energy is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So that's, that's, um, that's the Shastra Chakshus that we're trying to capture in our, in our heart and in our mind to see that we belong to Krishna and this world and all the sense objects uh, belong to Krishna and that our senses are meant for serving Krishna. So then in the next verse, Uh, When a person is in deep sleep, he dreams and sees in himself many other objects, such as great mountains and rivers, or perhaps even the entire universe, although they are far away. Sometimes when one awakens from a dream, he sees that he he is in a human form, lying in his bed in one place. Then he sees himself in terms of various conditions as belonging to a particular nationality family, and so on. All the conditions of deep sleep, dreaming, and wakefulness are, and what are they? They also, like we heard from the last verse, are energies, are but energies of the supreme personality of Godhead. One should always remember the original creator of these conditions, the supreme Lord, who is unaffected by them. Okay, so in the purport, um, Prabhupada says that none of these conditions of the living entities, namely deep sleep, dreaming, and wakefulness is substantial. What does that mean? It means they're not, you know, na babo, na vidite sataha, that because they are all temporary, they're not as substantial as the eternal soul. They are simply displays of various phases of conditioned life. There may be many mountains, rivers, trees, bees, tigers, and snakes that are situated far away, but in a dream, one may imagine them to be nearby. Similarly, as one has subtle dreams at night, when the living entity is awake, he lives in gross dreams. Isn't this fascinating writing? Gross dreams of nation, community, society, possessions, skyscrapers, bank balance, position, and honor. I remember the devotees once uh, came out with a, a record. Anyone remember when there was records? They predated CD. Uh, they predated CDs. They predated eight tracks and they predated cassettes. Although I think they've brought, they've uh, come into popularity a little again now if for like the cool people. Uh, <laughs> but um, so the devotees once made a record called Night and Daydream it was a It was a whole series of but i I always liked that title because this is also a dream in some ways, not that it's not real, but that it's temporary. right mean, That's our philosophy. So Prabhupada has this incredible list right of that you know uh, we're awake in a gross dream of our nation, our community, our society, our possessions, our skyscrapers, our bank balance, our position all of these are upadis, right? Uh, false designations. Mm-hmm. And we want to... Um, so We have to do two things. Some designations we really want to give up. They're just not favorable to Krishna consciousness. And other designations we want to dovetail in Krishna's service, right? Like uh, um, if you're a... Uh, uh, an i t professional, so you don't you 're probably not going to just give that up and you know um, uh, sell the house and move into the forest, but you dovetail that profession in krishna 's service um, let 's say before becoming a devotee, you uh, could really relate to and i won 't even mention it but so, some kind of foodstuffs that are just not what devotees would be interested in. So if that, if, you, if you designate it, I love and fill in the blank, that's the kind of upadi, you love that kind of food, and you would actually, that kind of thing, you would actually prefer to just totally give up. So some we dovetail, and some we just give up. But all, we try to understand that they're not our eternal designation. I told you this story before, but I'll just repeat it briefly. Our dear uh, Archa Vigraha Mataji, who was a famous artist in South Africa before she became a devotee and she got a cancer uh, diagnosis she came to Vrindavan she was told she would live 6 months she lived about 8 more years in Vrindavan and doing all kinds of beautiful artwork and paintings of Srila prabhupada etc and when it but when the cancer really did start taking over her body and she could no longer do her artwork she once told my wife and I that i always related to myself as an artist. Then I became a devotee and I related to myself as an artist for Krishna. And now that I can no longer do my art, I see that the only thing left is the for Krishna and no more the artwork. And that, and that even this thing that I use so much in Krishna's service, um, is not my eternal designation. So I thought that was a, so. Um, so the Prabhupada's listing a bunch of upadis. Under the circumstance, one should know that his position is due to his contact with the material world. One is situated in different positions in various forms of life that are all but creations of the illusory energy which works under the direction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, the Supreme Lord is the ultimate actor, and the conditioned living entity should simply... Remember this original actor, she, Krishna. Okay, so, so the, we're going to probably just go through the translations to the rest of this chapter. So before we do, anything on those last two verses that we discussed? And so the verse, by the way, is uh, and maybe uh, Sudanda can put it in the chat. Sarva Padi vinirmuktam. That Sarvapati uh, that we get rid of of these different material designations. Wow, that was quick. Somebody beat Suganda to it. You're in big trouble now, Suganda. You have competition. Yes, Sarvapati Virnumukta. Bhakti or devotional service means engaging all the senses in the service of the Lord. That's the, uh, the third line and part of the fourth. The Master of all the senses, uh, when the spiritual soul renders service, there are two side effects: one is freed from all material designations that's upa, and one's senses are purified by employing them in the service of the Lord. Thank you for putting that oh no that was sukandu put that in there sorry you're not you not you don't have any competition Sukhandu. <laughs> anything else on the on these verses yeah uh... yes Andy go ahead.
1: Yeah, if you look at the Sanskrit of um fifty-three and fifty-four. Okay. Um probably I'd use kind of a broad brush in translating that. I think there's a lot more in there. I guess I should reserve that for a bhakti lounge discussion sometimes.
0: No, but that's that's okay. can you give an example?
1: Well, it says uh I never know. I don't know how to translate. I don't have the slightest idea how to translate it. But it says, it looks like it's saying that it perceives the whole universe in himself, uh, is what is what the Sanskrit is saying. Um, it perceives also in himself. Atmanam, himself. <laughs> so it's yeah. in himself, himself.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Well, you see, we're, we're Prabhup- uh, we're Prabhup- when Prabhupada is translating, He has um, the benefit that we don't have when we see the book of having the commentaries of uh, the great acharyas um, that he's deriving a lot of his understanding from. So he's following the Parampara and they're explaining something in the same way, explaining something in the same way. And actually, the Bhagavatam, just to give you a little Puranic history here. Um, from a scholar's point of view, not that I'm a scholar, but hearing from scholars, that some of the Puranas, we, we're not exactly sure about some of the texts, or there's different there. There's different um, versions of them. Okay, <clears throat> and the reason for that is the way that a a uh, ancient literature um, is remains intact is if there's a lot of commentaries on them, generation after generation. Because so then you have two things. You have the, the commentaries who are quoting the verses, and you also have people who are, you know, as we would use the word, preaching from them and quoting so many verses. And the combination of that helps a, uh, an ancient text remain intact. And what we're so fortunate in the Bhagavatam, much, much more than any of the other Puranas, is the, the vast amount of commentators and people preaching from it. It's by far the, the most by many, many magnitudes um, compared to other Puranas. So Prabhupada is bringing into things, uh, into his translations, um, not just the word for word, but also the way the great followers of Vyasadeva and Sutta Goswami and Sonic uh, Sukadeva. Um, Understood them, so that's what's maybe uh, I, you know, I'd have to get someone like Radhika Raman Prabhu to look at this to give a, a thorough understanding of that because I'm not a Sanskritist, but that is what he has told me is often happening. Is that all right, Andy?
1: Yeah, I kind of thought that that's what you would say because <laughs> <laughs> no, we know Prabhupada is very conservative and he wants the received meaning, yeah, but you know. I just like he threw the in the part about mountains and rivers, which is not in there at all, just to emphasize that stuff that is definitely could not be inside of you. It's outside of you. Uh-huh.
0: Right. right.
1: That's what he wanted to do. And that's what he thought the meaning was. And I accept it for now, but I it just it would be fun to go into it and. No.
0: Well, if you remind me, I will uh, <laughs> send it to one of our my Sanskrit friends and see what they say because they can look at the previous Acharyas and things if that was interesting. Yeah, that
1: that would be nice. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, nice. so you
0: have to send me an email to remind me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Anything else? Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu.
2: Uh, this this upadhi this uh, designation reminded me of uh, like an actor acting in a movie or a, a drama, once the, the movie or the drama is done, the actor comes back to the original uh, self, but doesn't pretend to be the person that he or she is portraying. So we, the living beings are like portraying some uh, character or some personality that we are not actually and we have to revert back to our original uh, self.
0: Yes. And because we can't just become like a white slate, like an like a impersonalist might think, we, we don't give up, um, but we use in Krishna service. Right? So, you know, um, I, I'm just guessing here. But, but like, so Raghunana, you might... Um, your preference for South Indian prasadam instead of Bengali prashadam is not going to change uh, in this life, if, if that's, a, if that's true. So you just dovetail that in Krishna service. You make sure that every, you, you know, make all kinds of wonderful South Indian preps and you offer them to Krishna like that. So, you know, so we still have our parabdha karma, which is this body and this mind and uh, trying to make it all blank well, I'm a spirit soul. I have nothing to do with it. You know, you know, we don't, for example, change our vocabulary overnight. We we got conditioned to use certain words in certain ways because of our, our how we were brought up by our mother, or you know what we learned in school, and that's not going to. Um, so, so we use that vocabulary in Christian service. Yeah, we don't say, well, I'm not a male or a female. I, you know, I can use either bathroom when I'm at the airport. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we don't. Um, yeah. Okay. Shall we move on? Or did uh, anyone else have something they want to say? Okay. Muki, is it, is it snowing in New Jersey? It is okay. it's about to snow. Okay. We were sending our snow your way. Okay. So we are on, um, text 55, and we're going to be going through these translations till the end of the chapter, because I don't think I gave you any other verses to study, right? Know me. So this is still Anantadev preaching a lot of philosophy to Chitraketu. Know me to be the supreme Brahman, the all-pervading super soul, through whom the sleeping living entity can understand his dreaming condition, and his happiness beyond the activities of the material senses. That is to say, I am the cause of the activities of the sleeping living being. If one dreams during sleep, if one's dreams during sleep are merely subject matters witnessed by the super soul, how can the living entity who is different from the super soul, remember the activities of dreams? The experiences of one person cannot be understood by another. Therefore, the knower of the facts, the living entity who inquires into the incidents manifested in dreams and wakefulness, is different from the circumstantial activities. Okay, that's now we're getting some, I hope you follow that. That knowing factor is praman, spiritual source. In other words, the quality of knowing belongs to both the living entity, doesn't say both, but to the living entity and the supreme soul. Thus, the living entity can also experience the activities of dreams and wakefulness. In both stages, the knower is unchanged, meaning the soul or the super-soul, but is qualitatively one with the Supreme Brahman. So in this case, the knower is. So this takes us back to the 13th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna talks about the Kshetra, the Kshetra Gya, and there's two Kshetra Gya's. The Kshetra means the body. And the Kshetra refers to the knower of the body. And there's two of them, the soul and the super soul. 57. When a living entity, thinking himself different from me, forgets his spiritual identity of qualitative oneness with me in eternal knowledge and bliss. So that means we are Satchit Ananda and Krishna is Satchit Ananda. His material condition life begins. So when we think we're... uh, thinking himself different from me, separate from Krishna. In other words, instead of identifying his interests with mine, he becomes interested in his bodily expansion like his wife, children, and material possessions. In this way, by the influence of his actions, one body comes from another, and after death, another death takes place. Okay? Stop me Stop me at any time if you want to ask a question or uh, make a comment. A human being can attain perfection in life by self-realization through the Vedic literature and its practical application. This is possible, especially for a human being born in India, the land of piety. A man who obtains birth in such a convenient position, but does not understand his self, is unable to achieve the highest perfection, even if he is exalted to life in the higher planetary systems. And then Prabhupada quotes Lord Chaitanya in the purport. About birth in India. I think I told you that my son is a joker, and I was once giving a class, uh, Boma Ijadi, quoting the verse that uh, one who thinks his place of worship, place of birth is worshipable, is in Maya. They're no better than a cow or an ass. And so my son raises his hand and says, my place of birth is worshipable because he was born in Vrindavan. So it's like, sh- shut up. <laughs> you know, uh, but anyway. Um, so the Lord continues remembering the great trouble found in the field of activities performed for fruit of results, and remembering how one receives the reverse of the results one's desires. Whether from material action or from the fruit of activities recommended in the Vedic literatures, an intelligent man should cease from the desire for fruit of action. Fruit of action means, you know, selfish action. For by such endeavor, one cannot achieve the ultimate goal of life. On the other hand, if one acts without desire for fruit of results, in other words, if one engages in devotional service, he can achieve the highest goal of life with freedom from miserable conditions. Considering this, one should cease from material desire. So, you know, we've heard this, some of us have heard this a thousand times, and the, the only thing is you have to hear it a thousand and one. <laughs> because we can, we're can. we so easily still attracted to the material world that we have to keep be reminding uh, such a basic philosophical point as said in this verse, that we should act for Krishna's pleasure, rather than for our own as husband and wife a man and woman plan together to attain happiness and decrease unhappiness working jointly in many ways but because their activities are full of desires these activities are never a source of happiness and they never diminish distress on the contrary they are the cause of great unhappiness So how would you, how would you, uh, if somebody read that verse and they said, no, I'm married, you know, we have our fights every now and then, but actually it's, we're pretty happy together. So, you know, I don't know why your scriptures say, um, all the, you know, why are your scriptures so negative? Why are they always, you know, saying, oh, this is no happy, no, no happiness. How would you, uh, reply to that? (laughs) <laughs> we just say, I agree? No, no. <laughs> How are you going to reply? Um, Hare
2: Krishna Prabhu. Yes. The, it's, it doesn't negate the uh, happiness per se, but it just identifies the, the nature of material happiness and the nature of uh, existence in the material world is not pleasant are for eternal happiness. That oh. eternal happiness is only found on the spiritual platform in the spiritual world. So if we are just getting attached to our familial relationships in this material world, we will just want more of this and we don't want to go to the higher stage.
0: Yeah. So indirectly what you're saying uh, is, <laughs> excuse me, um, we need to define terms and that's often what you need to do in uh communications you know and so we need to define what we mean by happiness and i think that's that would be if i was speaking to someone that would be my first and then i would probably quote uh, chapter 2 verse 16 of the gita that ha- happiness in terms of the vision of the of the ancient sages is something that can never be taken away and that lasts uh, beyond this life. And in that sense, um, the 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 soap, the what we what we might call in this world happiness and and distress are through the eyes of the of the great sages they are both distressful because they 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 are they're by definition temporary, and something that is temporary. Not only can but will be taken away right, and therefore, like even if you had like the absolute most perfect marriage in the universe, you just you know you 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 uh you can finish each other's sentences and you know you've brought up the best children and and it's just you know every day you look forward to seeing your spouse that's great, but that the the sages would still. Say, mm, no, I'm sorry, because actually it's problematic because when one of you passes away, actually the pain is going to be really, really hard because you had such great relations, right? So, so that which can never be taken away, um, is, um, and the happiness on that level is what the sages are usually talking about. Yeah. So, so it's really important to define terms because we, otherwise we go out and tell people, Uh, you know, quote the Bhagavad Gita or quote this verse. And they they look at us like, what? I'm I'm having a great time. Yeah, last week was a bit of a problem. My boss got on my case, but this week's going really well, you know, or whatever. And uh, Suganda has put in a, uh, I believe this is from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Is that right, Suganda? Yes, Prabhupada. Yes. Um, That uh, you can read that for yourself. Um, but the state is exactly like a criminal whom a king punishes by submerging him in water and then raising him again from the water. So the time that your, 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 your head is out of the water, you think, Oh, so nice. <laughs> right. And is also put about happiness, um, is temporary cessation of distress. Okay. So let's go. We're almost finished this chapter, I believe. Uh, 61 and 62. One should understand that the activities of persons who are proud of the material experience bring only results contradictory to those such per- to those such persons conceive while awake sleeping and deeply sleeping. One should further understand that the spirit soul although very difficult for the materialist to perceive is above all these conditions. And by the strength of one's discrimination one should give up the desire for fruit of results in the present life and in the next. That means also not trying to go to karmakanda heaven, but devotional service instead. Thus, becoming experienced in transcendental knowledge, one should become my devotee. Persons who try to reach the ultimate goal of life must expertly observe the supreme absolute person and the living entity who are in quality in their relationship as part and whole. This is the ultimate understanding of life. There is no better truth than this. So, you know, imagine Chitra Cage is having this direct darshan of the Lord and the Lord is giving him this knowledge. O King, if you accept this conclusion of mine, being unattached to material enjoyment, adhering to me with great faith and thus becoming proficient and fully aware of knowledge and its practical application of life, you will achieve the highest, uh, I'm sorry, the highest perfection of attaining by attaining me. And then Sukadev Goswami finishes the chapter by saying, after thus instructing Chitraketu and assuring him of perfection in this way, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the Supreme Spiritual Master, the Supreme Soul, Sankarsana, disappeared from that place as Chitraketu looked on. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the sixth canto, 16th chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled, King Chitraketu Meets the Supreme Lord. And now, Mother Parvati curses Chitraketu. Okay, you ready? We're starting a new chapter. Very exciting chapter. Srila Sukadeva Swami said, After offering obeisances to the direction in which Ananta, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, had disappeared, Chitraketu began traveling in outer space as the head of the uh, Vidhadharas. now, listen, this is a little surprising, you might think. Being praised by great sages and saints and by the inhabitants of Siddhaloka and Charnaloka. Chitraketu, the most powerful mystic yogi, wandered about enjoying life for millions of years. With bodily strength and senses free from deterioration, he traveled within the valleys of Sumera Mountain, which is a place of perfection for various kinds of mystic power. In those valleys, he enjoyed life of the women of Vidyadhara Loka. And how did he enjoy? By chanting the glories of the Supreme Lord Hari. And Prabhupada writes in the short purport that he did not forget to glorify the Lord by chanting his holy name. And it's said by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur that um, Chitraketu, he had given up all of his vows... Um, meant to attain mystic power and instead he was absorbed in hearing and chanting the lord's glorious qualities and when the text says quote he enjoyed with the vidyadhara women it means he was enamored by glorifying the lord and his lotus feet not by the material association with women okay so so he had this you know he had shakshad darshan he had darshan of the lord and so um he had earlier the desire to enjoy, so Krishna gave him that, but not in a way that ruined his bhakti. Okay. So we'll go on and talk a little bit about five and then see if you have any questions or comments up to there. Okay. One time, while King Chitraketu was traveling in outer space on a brilliantly effulgent airplane given to him by Lord Vishnu, he saw Lord Shiva surrounded by siddhas and charanas. Lord Shiva was sitting in an assembly of great saintly persons and embracing Parvati on his lap with his arm. Chitraketu laughed loudly and spoke within the hearing of Parvati. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, the purport, he quotes the Sanskrit verse from Vishnu's Chakravarti Thakur, and then he says, the purport is that the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So this is important to keep these few sentences in mind as we read this, this Lila, this pastime. And this pastime takes place on numerous different levels. But this is the deepest level and something that we shouldn't forget as we're reading the other levels. The purport is that the Supreme Personality of Godhead wanted to bring Chitra Ketu to to Vaikuntha as soon as possible. The Lord's plan was that Chitraketu be cursed by poverty to become Britrasura, so that in his next life, he could quickly return home back to Godhead. There have been many instances in which a devotee acting as a demon has been brought to the kingdom of God by the mercy of the Lord. Um, so we just made this point that the Lord won, um wanted to bring Chitra Ketua back quickly to the spiritual world. So he made this whole, so it's like a, the Lord is like the conductor in an orchestra, orchestra and he's, he's arranging this uh, incredible uh, pastime.
3: <clears throat> I have a good question. Yes. Why did the Lord make him a demon? Why couldn't he just have, um, just, you know, maybe bit by a snake or something like that? <laughs> you know, like, why does he have to go through this extra life in order to go back to, um, back to the Lord?
0: That's a great question, Jay.
3: Or you, could it be yeah. because he wanted to teach Indra a lesson? Because that also comes on top of that as well, doesn't it?
0: Well, that's yeah. The Lord often does uh, many things with one action. Okay, so one thing like you just said, but let's let's look at that question a little deeply because that's a brilliant question, and let's look at it in the context. Of the uh Srimad Bhagavatam. Okay. And the Srimad Bhagavatam, um, because in other Puranas, the hero is Indra. Because you know, he, you know, he was uh because most of the other a lot of the other Puranas are talking on the level of Dharma, and you know, he was uh you know killing a demon. That's what you know demigods do to uh, you know, but the Bhagavatam's focus primary primary focus is on bhakti and therefore the hero is Prithasura in the Bhagavatam because he was uh um because of his devotion and what the Bhagavatam often does okay so you'll see in the Bhagavatam two things um it does in 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 a number of places uh establish the vedic social life you know varnashram and you know uh brahmins teach kings and you know um uh more of a male prominent role and things like that but the emphasis in the bhagavatam is different than other pranas it's if it, the emphasis is on bhakti and therefore there's many many places in the bhagavatam that turn the traditional um societal roles upside down so therefore, you see, Britrasura is, uh, is considered a greater devotee than Indra, even though he's a demon. So there's a great lesson there that, that a demon, if they have bhakti, is better than the best demigod. Okay. Um, uh, other, other, other things in the, uh, other points like that in the, uh, traditionally, um, seniority is very important, right? You respect your elders. But in the Bhagavatam, we see two of the greatest devotees are five-year-old, five years old, Prahlad Maharaj and Dhruva Maharaj. So turning things upside down. Traditionally, um, as one scholar once said, a Christian scholar, that um, transcendence was traditionally a male project, M-A-L-E, right? But, he, but we read in the Bhagavatam, the greatest devotees are who? The gopis. And, and the, uh, the Brahmins' wives were much more advanced than their husbands, who were like these Paka Brahmins. So again, turning social customs upside down in the Bhagavatam, not, not just to, not to get rid of social customs, but to show that bhakti is the, um, is the most important point. And so not only British Sur, you had Bali Maharaj, right? And then we also learned that caste, or, or, you know, is not that bhakti trumps caste, right? Because you have the Brijbhasis who are just like, you know, village people. And again, they're the, the Brijbhasis are the greatest devotees. Or we have uh, Durvasa and So Maharaj. So, so Ambrishmaraj is much more advanced and closer to God because of his bhakti than a brahmin, Durvasamuni, right? Okay? And we also consider human life to be the you know the, the greatest life for uh, the greatest species for um making advancement but then we but then we even have like Kajendra, an elephant. Because he has bhakti, he's very exalted. So so the while the Bhagavatam sometimes talks about the standard societal roles, really the Bhagavatam is there to uh and what makes it so special is its emphasis on on bhakti mm. instead of dharma. Um, and, and that's why again in other Puranas you'll see that in the past time of Nishringadev, Nishringadev is the star of the show. But in the Bhagavatam, Pra is the star of the show. right We don't see Nishringadev much, you know, you know, right? You know, he okay, he had to pacify him, he, he comes out of the pillar, he has to pass, But Pra we have a whole history, right, because of the emphasis in the Bhagavatam on bhakti. Um, let me see if there's anything else I want to say about that. Um, no, no, that, that I think I made my, <laughs> the point that, I, you know, thank you for bringing that up because it gave me an opportunity to make those points. Is that all right? Does that help, Jay?
3: Yeah, it's really good. Also, like, you know, if we look at the case of um, Bharat Maharaj, I think he lost a bit of bhakti and he fell down really deep, so you know, I think that really emphasizes bhakti, so important.
0: Well, yeah, well, okay, let's see what is the lesson there. Um, one is that bhakti is never lost. So, therefore, even though he became yeah. a deer, he still was given mem- um, remembrance of his previous uh, devotional activities. And then also in his next birth, about how careful we want to be to protect our bhakti. So he played dumb and this and that just to not have to mess around with the material world. Yeah. So um, you might have noticed that I just finished a two hour class with Radhika Prabhu, And therefore these are not my brilliant ideas. I'm getting them all from him, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> better. Uh, we, we talked about this yesterday in a, in a class that I was taking with him. With some of these points about the Bhagavatam. Any other questions or thoughts on this this point and and, and this point about how uh, this is all being orchestrated by the Lord okay so then let us um, carry on oh the other example um, about about bhakti is uh, is with yama the yama and yamaraj that that's a real uh, clear one that radhika prabhu was talking about that the the talk about a lot in the in the, earlier in this canto because when the yama went to yamaraj they spoke dharma as laid down in the vedas very very clearly right they gave the standard understanding of dharma um but then Yamaraj responded, dharman tushakshat bhagavat pranayatam. Uh, and, uh, dharmasyatat, no, is that, yeah, yeah. That bhakti supersedes dharma. And the, the, he was saying that this verse is one of the most important verses in the Bhagavatam. Uh, because it's showing how bhakti supersedes dharma. And it's, um, that bhakti, that not that social structure is rejected, but that bhakti is a higher understanding. And of course, our acharya is then he said, Yeah, use this section to uh, lift us up to the bhakti of chanting the holy name of Harinam. Okay, so now we're going up to seven, unless you have any comments or questions. So Chitra Ketu is seeing this amazing scene and he says, Lord Shiva, the spiritual master of the, great, of the general populace is the best of all living entities who have accepted material bodies. He enunciates the system of religion. Yet how wonderful it is that he is embracing his wife, Parvati, in the midst of an assembly of great saintly persons. Like, whoa. <laughs> Lord Shiva, whose hair is matted on his head has certainly undergone great austerities and penances. Indeed, he is the president in the assembly of strict followers of Vedic principles. Nonetheless he is seated with his wife on his lap in the midst of saintly persons and is embracing her as if he were a shameless, ordinary human being. Srila Prabhupada's purport Shitra Ketu appreciated the exalted so he appreciated the exalted position of Lord Shiva. And therefore, he remarked at how wonderful it was that Lord Shiva was acting like an ordinary human being. He appreciated Lord Shiva's position. But when he saw Lord Shiva sitting in the midst of saintly persons and acting like a shameless ordinary man, he was astonished. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur remarks that although Chitraketu criticized Lord Shiva, he did not offend Lord Shiva like Daksha. Daksha considered Lord Shiva insignificant. But Chitraketu expressed his wonder at Lord Shiva being situated in that way. So he was astonished, but not critical. And, and that distinction obviously is an important one because we know what happened to Chitraketu certainly, um, what happened to Daksha is not the same as what happened to Chitraketu. And by any stretch of the, of the imagination. So here's another way of looking at this pastime. Chichakech was just astonished. Like, how is that possible? What an amazing thing Lord Shiva is doing. And in text eight, ordinary conditioned persons generally embrace their wives and enjoy their company in solitary places. How wonderful it is that Lord Mahadev, which is another name for Shiva, although a great master of austerity is embracing his wife openly in the midst of an assembly of great saints. And Prabhupada writes, the word Mahabratadhara indicates a brahmachari who is never, who has never fallen down. Lord Shiva is counted among the best of yogis, yet he embraced his wife in the midst of great saintly persons. Chitraketu appreciated how great Lord Shiva was to be unaffected even in that situation. Therefore, Chitraketu was not an offender. He merely expressed his wonder. Mm And then in nine, Srila Sukadeva Goswami continued, my dear King, after hearing Chitra statement, Lord Shiva, the most powerful personality, whose knowledge is fathomless, simply smiled and remained silent. And all the members of the assembly followed the Lord by not saying anything. I'm sure they didn't dare to say anything. Mm. So let's we're gonna go through this purport. Chitra Ketu's purpose in criticizing Lord Shiva is somewhat mysterious and cannot be understood by a common man. So that's an interesting way to start a purport, right? Sri Lavishwranav Chakravarti Thakur, however, has made the following observations. Lord Shiva, being the most exalted Vaishnava and one of the most powerful demigods, is able to do anything he desires. Although he was Externally exhibiting the behavior of a common man and not following etiquette, such actions cannot diminish his exalted position. The difficulty is that a common man seeing Lord Shiva's behavior might follow his example. Okay, so that's another consideration in this pastime. That someone who doesn't understand Lord Shiva might try to follow his example instead of saying, Oh gosh, he is so exalted. I could never do that. (laughs) Right. Um, whatever action a great man performs common men follow and whatever standards he sets by exemplary acts all the world pursues so we have to be um, conscious of the um, example that we're setting Uh, I can give you an example in my life I'm just looking at what Sudanda has posted Ah, thank you yes uh, previously from the sixth campus. Um, so I was once driving with in Trumayapur with a very senior devotee and his disciple. And I was good friends with that senior devotee. So I started talking to him uh, as friends would, right? Kind of joking and this and that, but he had a disciple in the back seat um, and so, you know, he—I could tell by his eyes—he was, you know, don't we have to be a little bit more formal? Because, you know, a young devotee, you know, is like a 18-year-old devotee or something like that, wouldn't, you know, understand our, you know, it would—it wouldn't be favorable for his Krishna consciousness. So I, so I had to be, you know, Yad Yad—the verse that's quoted here—I had to try to set a proper example of how to. Um, deal with a senior devotee rather than the example of, you know, kind of yucking it up with a friend. I don't know if that's the best example, but you get the idea that in different situations, we have to be mindful of the example that we're, so there was nothing, nothing offensive or anything. Matter of fact, it was considered very sweet, generally when I'm with him alone and we're, you know, talking to one another. But in this situation, it was not, it was not appropriate, right? So we have to be good judges of time, place, and circumstance and be mindful of the, um, the example that we, they're, you know, um, providing for others. A common man might also criticize Lord Shiva like Daksha, who suffered the consequences for his criticism. King Chitraketu desired that Lord Shiva cease this external behavior so that others might be saved from criticizing him and thus becoming offenders okay so there's another layer of understanding chitra Kedu didn't want people who see lord shiva to criticize them and therefore be offenders so he was trying to help them okay if one thinks that vishnu the supreme personality of god is the only perfect personality whereas the demigods even such demigods as Lord Shiva are inclined to improper social affairs, he is an offender. Considering all this, King Chiricaateu was somewhat harsh in his behavior to Lord Shiva, really wanted him to stop it, because it's not setting a good example. Lord Shiva, who was always deep in knowledge, could understand Chitricateju's purpose, and therefore he was not at all angry. Rather, he simply smiled and remained silent. The members of the assembly surrounding Lord Shiva could also understand Chitraketu's purpose. Consequently, following the behavior of Lord Shiva, they did not protest. Instead, following their master, they remained silent. If the members of the assembly thought Chitraketu had blasphemed Lord Shiva, they would have certainly have left, they certainly, they, they would certainly have left at once, blocking their ears for their hands so layers upon layers in this uh, pastime um it isn't we are told in the 10th canto in the 33rd chapter verses 31 and 32 sukadeva swami tells Maharaj Priksha that one should not imitate the extraordinary acts of great persons lest we meet with misfortune instead we should follow their instructions. And why is that? Common people cannot understand the consciousness of great souls so they cannot understand what drives their behavior. That ignorance can cause unqualified persons to commit two mistakes. Either they try to imitate the great soul's action, okay, that's one mistake if they're not ready for that, or they criticize the action. In both cases, these unqualified persons may fall down. Committing either or both of these mistakes can negatively affect that our development of Krishna consciousness, even hearing criticism of pure devotees, causes fall down. And we, you know, I'll get this also in my service in this kind of resolve. Sometimes a person will have some doubt about a, a senior devotee or something like that because they saw them doing something that didn't make sense to them. So often, my service is to clarify. You know, talk to that senior devotee. Go kind of go back like a shuttle diplomat and clarify the situation, so that they don't keep that that doubt. And we, as whatever level of devotion we're on, we do need to be very um, conscious of the the uh, example that we're setting. It's a, it's a uh, it's a and it's a fine line between. You know, kind of like in a very selfish way, What do I wonder what people think about me, you know, and and trying to, uh, you know, act in such a way that people will think I'm a great devotee. You know, we don't want to do that, but we do want to set an example of humble service because people do notice our example. And like we've said before, you know, what you are speaks so loudly that it's very hard to, for people to hear what you're saying. Example is more powerful often than precepts. Hmm. So that's, uh, what are your thoughts on up to text nine?
2: It, it looks like there is being a distinction drawn between being critical without being offending.
0: Yes. Henry, you got to do your job. <laughs> you already did. Thank you. <laughs> You're way ahead of me. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so you, what, tell me more about that, Raghunandam. What are because your thoughts I, on that?
2: In this case, like Chitragetu is still for, um, pointing out uh, a much better conduct that could be done by Lord Shiva. So he, while doing that, he had to show, be a little critical about the current behavior of Lord Shiva but he was not trying to put him down or make him insignificant and that would be like more on the levels of offending a personality uh, which chitraketu was not doing but it is very a thin line but still there is a distinction
0: yes there is a i like that i very much appreciate the thin line and let's let's examine that thin line a little bit in the sanskrit it is called aninda Sadhu ninda right Is offending a devotee, and then the the best translation I've ever seen of that word into English is malice, and maybe someone could uh, look up malice in the dictionary, put it in the chat, please. Malice. Um, It 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 indicates you know really wanting to do bad to another person, right? Um, At the same time, we're also taught sometimes that you know we should be careful even about the casual. Oh, you know, and he's always late, you know, or some, not that you are, but you know what I mean? Uh, even casual criticism, we have to be, uh, uh, we have to be careful of malice, the intention or desire to do evil, ill will. Thank you, Subhinda. So the way I've, I've often heard Burijan Prabhu talk about this says, don't criticize devotees unless it's your service. He says, some of us have the unfortunate service like a spiritual master or like my wife has a temple president. Um, you may sometimes have that service to correct somebody. And, you know, um, you know, let's say they, they put salt in the sweet rice for the third day in a row and it's been offered to the Lord. A, a good temple president is not going to just let that go, right? Because, because it's a service to the deities, right? But if it's not our service, then we really should probably think a number of times before, just, you know, having an uncontrolled tongue and saying ill things about devotees. Because we have to remember that regardless of the devotees' faults, they are, um, as Prabhupada in one letter said, they're better than kings, all of them. Or another way to say it is that they're dear to the Lord. The child who doesn't know how to walk yet uh, and stumbling along is dear to the parents. So the bhakta who's not very pure yet and is struggling with the material energy is still dear to the Lord. And so uh, caution is uh, is is warranted. Yeah. And 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 Bhakti Vinod Thakur would say uh, not just caution, but do the opposite. Instead of speaking ill of devotees, glorify devotees. And and he went through all the ten offenses against the holy name, and, and tried to like positivize them if there is such a word. So thank you for bringing that up, Raghunandan Prabhu. Other questions or comments?
3: I just have another quick comment on yes, uh, Lord Shiva's behavior again. Like uh, you know, even during the pastime of Daksha, we noticed how he was silent in assembly. He just got up and left the assembly. And again, this time, again, he's really silent. He knows like, you know, uh, Chitra Ketu is not actually offending him, but, you know, he's just taken it really, really light, lightly. He's not said a word. But I was thinking like, you know, sometimes we must say something, you know, when when somebody says something, because if you don't say anything, you could be part of, you know, if somebody's doing something wrong, you could be part of it. That's right. And at other times, it's better to be silent than to retaliate and to um, cause some sort of offense or an argument or conflict.
0: Well, let's look at that a little, Jay. So first of all, Lord Shiva, when he's, he is, is, is giving, talking about being a good example is showing the example of a devotee. So, um, when he personally gets criticized, it's like, ah, Ram, Ram, you know, what do they say? Water off a duck's back. Right. You know, it's just not, uh, it's not, the devotee doesn't take offense seriously. Um, but look at that last sentence in verse 9, the purport. If the members of the assembly thought that Chitra Ketu had blasphemed Lord Shiva, they would certainly have left at once, blocking their ears with their hands. So if someone is speaking ill of a devotee or of Lord Krishna, we have uh, other mm, options at our command. One of them is like this. Another one is to defeat the person. Another one is to tell them, you know, really we should not speak ill. Let's say it's another devotee. We should not, Prabhu. We really shouldn't speak ill of devotees. Uh, and that might be according to the time and the place, the circumstance. If it's an if it's an older devotee, then you might not correct them, but you might just say, "I'm out of here." Uh, if it's a peer or a younger devotee, you might say, "Really, could we change the subject? You know, this is not palatable at all. This, you know, this is against what we're supposed to do." So, uh, we probably shouldn't go to the extent of cutting out their tongue, which, uh, is mentioned in Nectar Devotion, but, for, but the idea being that it's so serious that we should take it seriously, not literally, uh, cut out tongues, you know, that won't, it'll make the front page of, uh, the Washington Post for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> right. Um, but the point, but, by saying that Rupa Goswami is showing how um serious the matter is. But for Lord Shiva, like you said, it's a really nice observation, Jay. Um, Very good. That, yeah, he just like, you know, left. Yeah. Couldn't be bothered. And so a devotee, when we, you know, it's not easy because of our false ego, but a great devotee, if they get criticized like that, you know, Unless they feel that by just walking away and doing nothing, it can harm other people. Okay. So like for Srila Prabhupada, sometimes he would be criticized by people who didn't understand his motivation and things like that. And he would correct them or even with his devotees, even with his disciples, he would explain how, you know, correct them and call maybe even call them a rascal or there's that, but he was doing that not for his own um, boosting his ego, but to protect the, the very delicate and uh, at that time under not very well developed creeper of bhakti that his disciples have. Is that all right, Jay? Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Then let us sally forth on verse number 10. And we are going up to 15. Not knowing the prowess of Lord Shiva and Parvati, Chitra Ketu strongly criticized them. His statements were not at all pleasing, and therefore the goddess Parvati, being very angry, spoke as follows to Chitra Ketu, who thought himself better than Lord Shiva in controlling his senses. So another layer of, he wasn't exactly completely in the right consciousness, right? Uh, it says in the purport, the difficulty was that Ketu, having become a great devotee of Lord Vishnu, Sankarsana, was somewhat proud at having achieved Lord Sankarsana's favor, and therefore thought that he could now criticize anyone, even Lord Shiva. So he had some pride. So even great devotees can have some, some pride there. So that's another layer of this uh, pastime. Shri Parvati Uvacha, the goddess Parvati said, alas, how this upstart now, uh, alas, has this upstart now received a post, I have to say that because she's speaking this with sarcasm, a post which is greater to, uh, which uh, from which to punish shameless persons like us? Has he been appointed ruler, carrier of the rod of chastisement? Is he now the only master of everything? Alas, Lord Brahma, who has taken his birth from the lotus flower, does not know the principles of religion. Nor do the great sages like Bhrigu and Narada, nor the four Kumaras headed by Kumara. Manu and Kapila have also forgotten the religious principles. I suppose it is, uh, I suppose it to be because of this, that they have not tried to stop Lord Shiva from behaving improperly. This Chitraketu is the lowest of Chatriyas, for he has impudently overridden Brahma and other demigods by insulting Lord Shiva, upon whose lotus feet they always meditate. Lord Shiva is personified religion and the spiritual master of the entire world, and therefore Chitra Ketu must be punished. This person is puffed up because of his achievements, thinking, I am the best. He does not deserve to approach the shelter of Lord Vishnu's lotus feet, which are worshipped by all saintly persons. For he is impudent, thinking himself greatly important. And then uh, 15. Oh, impudent one. my! And But listen to this. It's so interesting. Oh, impudent one. And then, my dear son. <laughs> now take birth in a low, sinful family of demons so that you will... Not commit such an offense again towards exalted, saintly persons in this world, and we're going to go through this purport. Uh, some of it we've already kind of covered it because of Jay's question. One should be very careful not to commit offenses at the lotus feet of Vaishnavas, of whom Lord Shiva is the best. While instructing Sri Rupa Goswami, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu described an offense. At the lotus feet of a Vaishnava as Hati Mata, a mad elephant. When a mad elephant, excuse me, when a mad elephant enters a nice garden, it spoils the entire garden. So I think, I think a few years ago we showed a video, and you can find them on YouTube, of elephants losing it, especially I think uh, they're from South India. And you know, like picking up Maruti vans, and you know, knocking over this, and you know, and it gives you some idea of the of the um, idea of a mad. Elf. You just imagine that you know, picking a picking up a van is that's wild, right? But what, delicate flowers or something like that in a garden, and then this elephant's just going, you know, going postal, as we might say in America, you know. Um, And just, you know, the garden's finished, right? I mean, there may be some, you know, scraps there, but it's really in deep trouble. So that's the example of all the examples Lord Chaitanya could give. He gives that example. Similarly, if one becomes like a mad elephant and commits offenses at the lotus feet of a Vaishnava, his entire spiritual career is halted. It's not that it's totally lost, but it is halted. It's it's at, at best put on pause. One should therefore be very careful not to commit offenses at the lotus feet of a Vaishnava. Okay. So I, I think we spoke about that. Next paragraph. Mother Parvati was justified in punishing Chitraketu for Chitraketu impudently criticized the Supreme Father, Mahadev, Lord Shiva, who is the father of the living entities conditioned within this material world. So a different layer. No, it was, he was impudent from one angle of vision. The goddess Durga is called mother and Lord Shiva is called father. A pure Vaishnava should be very careful to engage in his specific duty without criticizing others. This is the safest position. Otherwise, if one tends to criticize others, he may commit the greatest offense of criticizing a Vaishnava. So we do, I like that first sentence. We do our duty. We, you know, we kind of like, you know, put our blinders on, so to speak. We do our duty. We do our service to Krishna and we don't criticize others. And how to not criticize others? I think the hint is given there by being absorbed in our own duty. You don't have time to start worrying about what others are or are not doing or how they're doing it. Right? But rather we're so absorbed in our service, in our duty. Okay. So, again, interrupt me if you want to say something, because we're going to go through this entire paragraph, but I'm happy to break it up. Because Chetriketa was undoubtedly a Vaishnava, he might have been surprised that Parvati had cursed him. That's an interesting way. Hey, hey, wait a second. I'm I'm one of you guys. Therefore, the goddess Parvati addressed him as Putra. This This is also very wonderful. Or son. Everyone is the son of Mother Durga. But she is not an ordinary mother <laughs> as soon as there is a small discrepancy in the demon's behavior mother Durga immediately punishes a demon so that he may come to his senses this is ex- and i thought this was really interesting how the juxtaposition of that and then this verse <laughs> this divine energy of mine that's comes from mother Durga Consisting of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome. It's very difficult. Mother Durga's got us in her crutches, in her, in her, you know, in her fists. But those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. To surrender to Krishna means to surrender to his devotees also. For no one can be a proper servant of Krishna unless he is a proper servant of a devotee. Shadya Vaishnava Seva Nishchaira Payecha Keva. Without serving a servant of Krishna, one cannot be elevated to being a servant of Krishna Himself. So that's an important statement, isn't it? Uh, we don't surrender to Krishna. Um, no one can be a proper servant of Krishna unless he is a proper servant of one of Krishna's or Krishna's devotees. Therefore, Parvati spoke to Chitragupta exactly like a mother who stay, says to her naughty child, "My dear child, I am punishing you." so that you won't do anything like this again. So another angle of vision, Mother Parvati, it seems that she's really upset, but she's actually doing this chastisement in the mood of a mother. The tendency of a mother to punish her child is found even in Mother Jashoda, who became the mother of the Supreme Personality of Godhood. Mother Jashoda punished Krishna by binding him and showing him a stick, Thus, it is the duty of a mother to chastise her beloved child, her beloved son, even in the case of the Supreme Lord. It is to be understood that Mother Durga was justified in punishing Chitraketu. This punishment was a boon to Chitraketu because after taking birth as a demon, Bhitrasura, he was promoted directly to Vaikuntha. Okay. So. Any questions or comments on any of those verses that we just covered from nine to 15, from ten to fifteen?
1: Yeah, I just enjoyed it reading, and I and and I like to fantasize that I understood um, <clears throat> the smile from Lord Shiva because. He could have been thinking something. Oh, I see Krishna's hand in all this. Yeah,
0: you're right. Yes. <laughs> yes. The blue boy is at it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's I, that's a very sweet way to see it, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, Lord, she was watching the whole thing and then watching his wife chastise him and then calling him my dear son and just thinking, okay, Krishna, what do you got up your sleeve here? <laughs> So it's also good if we can do that in our own lives. You know, we, we have some reverse in our life and we don't take it so deeply, deeply, oh, it's killing me kind of thing, but just like, okay, Krishna, what are you up to? What do you want me to do? I know you want me to surrender. Oh my gosh, you really do want, you really are giving me a hard time right now. You know that, Krishna, don't do. <laughs> and then we try to see what is Krishna's desire.
4: Hi, Krishna Prabhu.
0: Yes. Yeah, I felt the same thing.
4: I felt the same thing. Uh, he's such a wonderful devotee. Uh, he had been getting beaten up multiple times. Uh, he never lost, um, uh, regretted for what happened. Uh, only at the initial stages, when he's lost his son, he was like really deeply remorse. And then, like uh, from the, from there on, you um, know, uh, he he just expressed a how, how should a good devotee should be. Yeah. Um, you know, he's so wonderful.
0: Um, yes. And, and I, re- I, I
4: really, go ahead. I really liked, um, uh, the way that, uh, he, uh, he didn't, uh, give any justification for why he laughed or anything. He's immediately understood Krishna's mercy. And then, you know, um, basically praised the Lord, uh, you know, praised it on another Vaishnava, and uh, took the responsibility of the thing, which is something really impressive.
0: Yes, and nicely put. Let's, let's say it in a different way. He, he didn't try to change the material circumstances and instead took shelter of Krishna. And that's a challenge for us. When, when something goes wrong this way or that way, our tenants, can you hear me? Okay. Our tendency is to, um, is to, our first tendency sometimes is to adjust some, some of the knobs in the material world and change our material circumstances. And often what is happening is Krishna is doing this to us to try to bring us closer to Him. Maybe, obviously we may not be Chitra Ketramaraj, but we have our relationship. We have our individual personal relationship with Krishna. And usually what Christ, when we, there is a challenge in our life, Krishna is expecting us to try to come closer to him in that challenging condition and not immediately go to the material circumstance. We, we've spoken about this so many times. I know so I sound like a broken record, but the time that Arjuna, you know, the Brahmastra was chasing after him and he didn't immediately say, Krishna help. You know, he first glorified, he remembered Krishna first. And, and then took, you know, took shelter of Krishna and then asked for help. And, and in the eighth verse, the seventh verse of the eighth chapter, Tasmat Saveshu Kaleshu, Mamanusmara Yodhicha in Bhagavad Gita, that remember me and then do your duty, do, you you know, deal with the world. So that is, um, so here Lord Shiva's, uh, I'm sorry, Chitra K. is giving us a perfect, he, he didn't try to counteract it. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it, that Sukhadev Goswami is telling this story to Maharaj Pariksit, who himself was cursed and who himself embraced the, um, the curse without trying to change it. He could have, Prabhupada writes that Pariksit Maharaj was such a powerful devotee, he could have changed it, but he accepted it as the Lord's blessing, as the Lord's mercy. And he accepted it. So, he, so that same mood that Pariksha Maharaj, Pariksha Maharaj is hearing Chitra Ketu have that same mood that he had. That's kind of cool.
4: Very nicely articulated, Prabhu. Very nice.
0: <laughs> that one, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that, that, that's, uh, that's beautiful, actually. So it's not easy to do that. You know, The tendency is immediately to adjust things in the material world. And that was Dhritarashtra's tendency in the 13th chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam. He was used to just, you know, he was a king. Uh, I mean, he had all the royal riches and, uh, you know, he could snap his finger and get any food he wanted and this and that. And Vidura had to really preach super strong to him to try to wake him up that that's not going to last forever. Okay, so you were able to make turn the knobs and adjust the material circumstance. If you were hot, you can get someone to fan you. If you were cold, you can get someone to set it. You know, you know, whatever. Um, get another blanket. of you. Were, you were a king. You were treated, you know, like that. But now, look at you. You know, you're 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 losing your teeth. Your your liver's defective. You've been blind from birth, and you know it's such an embarrassing situation. Get out of here go to the north, go to the Himalayas, right? And get out of this embarrassing situation of living at the expense of people that killed your, your, your sons. Right? So, um, so we should try to think of Krishna first and then deal with the practicalities of life. Is that all right, Shakshi? Is that right? Okay, you're on mute, so we'll continue. <laughs> um, all right, what's, oh, we have six more minutes. Uh, let us, uh, then what's the next verse that we're supposed to speak? Oh, 17, okay. So let us um, at least do 17, or try to at least. Sukadeva Swami, continue. My dear King Perkshit, when Chitra Ketu was cursed by Parvati, he descended from his airplane, bowed before her with great humility and pleased her completely. Chitra Ketu said, My dear mother, with my own hands folded together, I accept the curse upon me. I do not mind the curse, for happiness and distress are given by the demigods as a result of one's past deeds. Purport. Since Chitra Ketu was a devotee of the Lord, He was not at all disturbed by the curse of Mother Parvati. He knew very well that one suffers or enjoys the results of one's past deeds as ordained by Daivi Maitra, superior authority, or the agents of the supreme personality of Godhead. I wanted to look up something, if I can find it. Um, So this think of where does suffering come from is a interesting because um, Bhishma Dave talks about this in the ninth canto, I'm uh, sorry, in the ninth chapter of the first canto. And, and of course he's talking to a great devotee to Yudhisthira and he uses three terms to identify the cause of Yudhisthira suffering. Now, again, a great devotee he uses Kala Daiva, as we're hearing in this verse and ultimately Bhagavan. <laughs> right. And of course we understand that on one level, at least two, if not all three, uh, they were there in terms of Bhishma explaining to Yudhisthira why he had suffered and the Pandavas had suffered. And the same is here, right here. We're hearing about divy or, or superior authority or, or, um, uh, providence it's sometimes called and ultimately we heard in the very first purport that it's Bhagavan doing all this right so there's some interesting similarities also in this and Bhijma Dave's preaching to Yudhisthira he knew he had not committed any offense at the lotus feet Lord Shiva or the goddess Parvati yet he had been punished and this meant that the punishment had been ordained that's, again, we can think of that. I didn't do anything. And we get some reaction. and We say, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. It's been ordained. Thus, the king did not mind it. A devotee is naturally so humble and meek that he accepts any condition of life as a blessing from the Lord. This famous, most famous verse, Tatenu Kampam Suksham 10, 14, 8. And that is the verse that Prabhupada said should be the guide of all devotees. A devotee always accepts punishment from anyone as the mercy of the Lord. If one lives in this conception of life, he sees whatever reverses occur to be due to his past misdeeds. Okay, so that's karma. And therefore, he never accuses anyone. On the contrary, he becomes increasingly attached to the Supreme Personality of Godhead because of his being purified by his suffering. Suffering, therefore, is also a process of purification. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti, so let's see, um, we'll just finish this purport and then end for the day, okay? It might go mi- a minute or two late. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says in this connection that one who has developed Krishna consciousness and who exists in love with Krishna is no longer subject to suffering and happiness under the law of karma. Okay, so then karma is out of the picture for Ketra. Indeed, he is beyond karma. The Brahma Sanghita says, karmani nidaheti kintu chapakti Bhaja. A devotee is free from the reactions of his karma because he has taken to devotional service. The same principle is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita sagunan samatityaitan brahmabhuyaya kalpate. One who is engaged in devotional service has already been, been freed from the reactions of his material karma and thus he immediately becomes brahmabhuta or transcendental. This is also expressed in Srimad Bhagavatam 1.2.21. Uh, "Shyante Kasya karmani. Before attaining the stage of love, one becomes free from the results of karma. The Lord is very kind and affectionate towards his devotees, and therefore a devotee in any condition is not subjected to the results of karma. A devotee never aspires for the heavenly planets. The heavenly planets, liberation, and hell are non-different for a devotee, for he does not discriminate between the different positions in the material world. A devotee is always eager to return home back to Godhead. And remain there as the Lord's associate. This ambition becomes increasingly fervent in his heart. And therefore he does not care about material changes in his life. Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments that Maharaj Chitraketu's being cursed by poverty should be considered the mercy of the Lord. Okay. So there it is. Bhagawan. The Lord wanted Chitraketu to return to Godhead as soon as possible. And therefore, he terminated all the reactions of his past deeds, acting through the heart of Parvati, the Lord who is situated in everyone's heart. Cursed Chitraketu in order to end all his material reactions. Thus, Chitraketu became richassera in his next life and returned back to Godhead. Such a nice task line. There's so many instructions here. So many. We could. We'll maybe uh, go back to that purport a little bit next week. And we'll can. I think we should be able to easily finish this chapter next week as well. So right on time, uh, it's twelve o'clock Eastern, five o'clock in the UK. I hope you all have a uh, wonderful Krishna conscious week, and we will see y'all next week. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.
2: Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.
0: Hare Krishna. Hare.